You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno from Real Vision, sending to you live Wednesday, August 31st. Today, we're going to debate volatility uh, because realized volatility is as high as ever, basically, at least if we look at energy markets. Um, and today, I'm joined by an options expert, so also a volatility expert. My friend Imran Laka, the founder of Option Insights, is with us today. It's good to see you again, Imran. Hey, good to see you, man. How are you? All good. I hope you're good as well. Uh, so, I mean, Imran, to, to, to take uh, things uh, from the top here, if we look at the current realized volatility, for example, in, in energy markets, um, how do you actually utilize volatility as a trader when it gets as crazy as currently? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of ways, right? Obviously, a lot of people get freaked out by volatility and, and it really, you know, and it's a lot of the problem is that they don't volatility adjust their sizing they don't think about where their stop should be in the context of how much an asset is moving and things like that. And so when things suddenly start moving, they're getting stopped out a lot of the time in their positioning or they're, you know, they, they, they lose a lot more money than they anticipated they could lose and, and stuff like that. So the way I like to think about it is um, just from a basic standpoint, if you've got a core long-term position, um, uh, an allocation, let's say, in your long-term portfolio, um, then trading around that position in a certain portion, let's call it anywhere between 30 and 50%, trading around that position is a way of utilizing volatility. So you don't take the entire position off, but as you get big swings in both directions, you either you know lighten up with the view and add back if, if the market gives you that opportunity, or that's basically how you think about it, right? So that's a simple way to benefit from volatility and choppiness in markets without using optionality, right? Um, if you want to use optionality, it's a bit more complicated, but you know, you can um, try and buy options when implied volatilities are cheap. Um, and we kind of got there about two weeks ago when the market rallied, uh, squeezed all the way up to the 200-day moving average on S&P, 43 and a quarter, uh, and the VIX got sub-20 briefly, right? So, and the street, the dealer community and options looked like they were kind of getting a bit long and they, they were a bit uncomfortably long and the market just stopped moving for a little bit, right? So as soon as that that expiry at the end of August, sorry, at the middle of August went away, markets were free to move again. 
and they went a bit more in line with fundamentals given what the rates market was doing and we and we've seen the sell off basically right um i'd say now the opportunity is in selling it actually right the opportunity is in selling implied volatility um if you look at some of the metrics that we look at uh brian if you want to if you want to bring up the dashboard front page um so we kind of do an analysis every day looking at all the cross asset volatility measures um across different assets that we care about and and right now you know it feels like yeah markets are moving a lot but compared to the implied vols we're seeing it's quite orderly right so you're getting what we call a lot of positive carry in options i.e. you can sell options at an implied vol that is quite a bit higher than than what is realizing if you look back at a 10 day realized period basically so you're you're seeing positive carry in things like european indices in commodities uh in some of the major fx pairs you know that's suggesting that actually implies of kind of overpriced the movement right now and there's some juice to be had in actually selling short dated options so imran if we look at the price action over the past 4 days i think it's the fourth day in a row that we close in red figures for the uh, main us equity indices what's your view on the market right now and the spillovers to volatility uh watching the price action so i was pretty convinced the market was the wrong sort of price up at 4300 i kind of categorically said that two weeks ago on camera um that turned out to be right we we've now repriced obviously to below 4000 we've done it pretty quickly so the market may need a little bit of a short term bounce just to unwind some of that sort of oversold condition but as long as rates continue going higher uh, as long as the fed does take rates higher than the rates market is pricing in assuming they do um that's not going to be amazing for equities right so equities are going to probably remain in some sort of downtrend um in terms of how volatile that gets to the downside well, well that that depends on obviously a, a number of things you know how aggressive they're going to be what what we see in terms of growth rolling over what what we see in terms of inflation prints that's all going to play a part the the interesting thing right now that i've noticed is in the last two days that we've sold off we obviously got our first move down and then we had a little bounce and since then we've sold off from roughly 4060 on the S&P to where we are now right at like 3970 let's say so it's about a 2% sell off and normally in a 2% sell off on the S&P you'd expect vol to be quite well bid right people wanting to buy options and whilst the VIX index is kind of there or there about slightly higher the actual fixed strike options which are options that have the same strike So if you look at the 30th of September for example the one month option struck at the money at 3975 in the last day or so that's actually got hit quite hard in terms of implied vol. So what that's telling you is that the dealer community is not reaching for options, right? If anything they're offloading some, right? So that's not a market that's particularly stressed and is reaching for vol and is really in a quite a bad situation. Now If we were to go down to 3600 and below, I think that picture changes quite dramatically, right? I think the street will find itself very short very quickly. That move down below 3600 will induce more clients to buy more protection and you're going to start to see a snowball effect and that's when you can start to see the VIX going into the 35, 40, 50 type levels if we were to break 3600. but i kind of think for the next couple of hundred points between here and 3800 on the s&p things will probably remain quite orderly um that that would be my my anticipation 
If we look at cross-asset volatility over the past, say, two to three quarters, uh, it's been quite noteworthy how big a volatility we've seen in energy markets, obviously, but also in interest rate markets. So if we look at price volatility in the front end of interest rate markets over the past couple of quarters, it's been very high from a historical uh, standard, right, at least um, in comparison to the last decade or so. If you look at interest rate volatility um, in relation to equity volatility, what do you make of sort of the divergence we've seen between volatility across those sure, two asset sure. classes? So if we, Brian, if you want to bring up um, the second slide where we've got the scatter, where we've got all the different assets there on, on volatility and skew on that scatter plot. Um, so this is something we look at, right, where we compare um, where the vol is uh, in terms of absolute level across all the major assets that we look at, across asset, equity, commodity, FX, and bonds. And we also look at skew, which is the put vol minus the call vol to give you a sense for where the tail risk is being priced, right? So I totally agree with you that bond volatility has been the main driver of, of asset class volatility for a while now. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we were basically saying that TLT vol was trading at the same vol as S&P. It was pretty unusual, right? Normally, you'd expect a bond vol to be a bit cheaper than equity vol, right? At least by two or three vol points. And it was pretty much bang in line, right? They were both at around 16, 17 vols apiece. Um, through the sell-off that we've just had, S&P has now gone a bit higher. So we are seeing a more normal spread. We're seeing S&P vol at 23 against TLT at 20. Um, so that's more normal. We're also seeing skew stretching back out in equity. So people getting a bit more fearful of the downside tail, um, particularly in Europe. Uh, European skew is higher than S&P skew. But in general, that that kind of tail risk and that fear is, is coming back a little bit. Um, but the real standout trade a couple of weeks ago when TLT bowl was rich versus S&P, if you wanted exposure to uh, rates bowl, was to buy dollar yen bowl. So, so FX vol, there seems to be a very strong sort of correlation between what dollar yen is doing and what 10-year yields are doing, right? So you were able to buy dollar yen vol at around 10 um, and effectively get the kind of swings that you're getting in, in the bonds, but via that channel through what the Bank of Japan has been doing and, and the way that thing is playing out. So that vol has richened up a little bit now to around about 12 um, so it's not looking quite as uh, cheap as it was. And also things have stabilized a bit in dollar yen, right? We haven't had the breakout to the upside like that maybe some people were anticipating. So, so this is what I'm looking at all day long, right? Trying to find the best expressions of how do I own the vol that is actually worth having? And are there better proxies to own that like dollar yen versus the bonds or, you know, in Europe, Right now, I'm seeing a good short trade in European equity vol, uh, where you could basically sell upside in the front end um, and harvest some theta and earn some carry if, if you're that way inclined, um, because the realized vol in Europe is surprisingly low compared to what we've seen in the S&P recently. You've got 10-day realized on Eurostocks at like 15, whereas the same thing in S&P is at 23, which is surprising. But the reason is because we didn't squeeze as much. So the S&P squeezed like crazy to 4,300. Europe didn't participate in that rally as much. So post Jackson Hole, when we sold off, Europe didn't need to come down as much either, right? So net-net, so Europe's kind of hung in there and not done too much, but the implied volume in Europe is still pumped because everyone's really scared about what's happening in the energy side in Europe. So for me, selling that upside area in the front end of Europe is the safer way to harvest that carry because if the market melts down, the position kind of evaporates and goes away and it's not too much of a problem.
Makes a ton of sense, Imran. Uh, speaking of FX volatility, we're currently trading around this very important psychological level of parity, one-to-one mm. between the euro and the US dollar. Uh, when we look at price action in, in FX spot, it's sometimes linked to important strike levels in the FX option space. So what do you make of, of euro dollar right now trading around parity and the link to the FX option space? Yeah, so um, FX vol has been grinding up across the majors, right? Um, like I said, I thought Dolly M was the clear standout thing to own because it had that 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 relationship with rates. But Euro has actually performed quite well in terms of vol. Um, that vol's gone up. Um, Parity is holding really well, actually, and that's because people are expecting some pretty aggressive hikes coming out of the ECB by the looks of it, right? So it does look a bit exhausted to the downside right now. Um, I think every man and their dog is bearish euro, medium term. So probably the pain trade is a bit of a pop from here. Um, I have been bearish. It's worked pretty well. I haven't really lightened up yet. Maybe I should. I've been considering it. But because my I've got some put options on euro um, struck at 0.98, but they don't expire till January next year. So because they're quite far out, I don't really feel compelled to mess about and meddle with that trade, even if we get a pop. I don't think I think it'll be quite short lived and I think the trend will resume. So I'm happy to carry that. But if it was a short dated position that expired within the next month, I'd probably be banging it out and taking profit because I do think in the short term we could get a little rally in euro. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I think that makes uh, sense also seen from, from my chair here. Um, I wanted to play a, a soundbite for you, Imran, in relation to this debate on, on Europe. Uh, I spoke to Dario Perkins, uh, the head of macro strategy at TS Lombard just last week, uh, and the interview will uh, will air uh, on Real Vision uh, this week. Uh, and interestingly, he's uh, getting super bearish on European bonds as a consequence of the current energy crisis. So let's listen to this soundbite and get back to the debate on Europe. I think there's still a role for bonds. So, you know, I don't think we're in permanent stagflation. So I think there's still going to be a helpful correlation between bonds and equities. You know, when you get a recession, when you get a, a, a kind of panic in financial markets and equities go down, there's still going to be a sort of insurance hedging property that comes from bonds. But over a five-year period, I think returns in bonds are just going to look horrible. I think real returns in bonds are going to be nasty. And we're also, even if we don't get, you know, really high inflation, persistent inflation, we're going to get much more volatile inflation because we're going to have big commodity shocks. We're going to be moving to intermittent types of energy, you know, which are going to be much more volatile. So you're going to get big swings in energy prices. We're going to be, um, you know, we're going to get more disruption from climate change. So the actual physical effect of climate change is going to be, you know, to cause more supply disruption, more droughts, more famines, more of that kind of stuff. So all of that is going to make inflation much more volatile. So this period of transitory inflation that we've had this year and last year, we're going to get more of that. And we're not going to have central banks reacting to every transitory swing in inflation. So there's going to be a bit of financial repression that goes on in those periods. And so real returns in bonds just get absolutely killed, I think. 
The entire interview with Dario Perkins is already available today at the Real Vision platform for the subscribers. Imran, back to you. I mean, uh, Dario is um, is clearly very negative um, on the prospects for European bonds as a consequence of the energy crisis. I know that you are born and raised in, in the UK. So let's uh, make a live assessment here uh, around the current energy crisis. I mean, UK is one of the countries um, hit the worst by this current uh, crisis in natural gas and electricity. So what's your assessment of what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy, right? Some of the Some of the repricing in energy bills that people are having to face is just astronomical. And it's basically putting people out of business. So there, I think there will be a backlash. I think there already is, right? There's people basically saying they're just not going to pay their bills. Um, the government's going to be, once there is a government, once we know what the government looks like, the probably the first thing on their on their docket is going to be to come up with some sort of um, subsidies or some sort of assistance for people. Um, you know, similar to the type of stuff they did with COVID, right, where they furloughed and, 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 you know, supported businesses. This is something they're going to need to do something about because it's just it's literally going to put ridiculous numbers of businesses out of, you know, um, out of commission. And, and, and even just regular people just can't afford uh, to pay these bills. Right. So I, I, when I see that chart of TTF gas, I get very happy when I see it coming back down because we need it. All of us need it back down, right? There's uh, There doesn't seem to be an easy solution here. Um, there, it seems like Japan and Germany are waking up to the idea that there's no other choice but nuclear, right? But that's not a short-term fix, unfortunately, right? So I think that's where we're heading. I think that's why we're seeing these pretty big pops in uranium lately. Um And we're see the thing about uranium is a funny one. I've kind of switched over to this direction about uranium randomly, but I just think it's quite topical right now. And it's been a retail favorite. And you've seen quite a lot of correlation between uranium and say like the ARC stocks, right? You know, the mm. retail favorites, the meme stocks. And that's broken down pretty dramatically in the last week or two, right? So we've seen the meme stocks get crushed and we've seen uranium go up 20%, right? So when you see that decorrelation, that's quite encouraging because you're now saying, well, whatever retailer doing, the, there's something else driving uranium now, right? So it's more the fundamental story might be taking hold. That's kind of what I'm hoping because I've got reasonable allocation to, full disclosure, I've got reasonable allocation to uranium myself. But um, I thought that was quite interesting over the last couple of weeks to see that sort of decorrelation. Yeah, I'm long uranium too, Ron, so we're in the same boat. Um, it, it's interesting to follow the debate in, in Germany around this question. Um, I think a couple of days ago, the um, the economy minister from, from Germany, Robert Habeck, uh, basically admitted that they are now close to taking a decision to sort of prolong uh, the nuclear capacity that they otherwise planned on, on closing down this year. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've actually seen a, a quite sharp retracement in the price of German electricity one year ahead. Uh, we priced uh, one megawatt hour above a thousand euros, uh, and we are now back at 550 or thereabout. The last time I checked the screens on Bloomberg, so quite a retracement in a couple of days. Still bizarre price levels, but uh, a retracement from even more bizarre price levels. But speaking of this electricity market with an obvious link to the natural gas market, is it something that you can see spilling over to other commodity uh, assets in, in terms of volatility? Run. Well, I mean, it certainly has had impacts on the likes of uh, agricultural commodities and some of the fertilizer stocks, right? So 
they were absolutely roaring a few months back, right? They had a pretty steep correction, but then there was a cheeky buying opportunity. I think they're up 30% from local lows, right? So fertilizer stocks are definitely responding to what's going on in natural gas. Um, the ags have been a bit of a mixed bag, right? So you had corn rallying pretty hard, uh, but wheat surprisingly hasn't done a, done a lot. It's almost retraced the whole Russian spike. And, you know, you've had uh, Chicago wheat, I think, has been all right in terms of yields. Um, so that's kind of arrested some of the concerns there. Um, so ags are pretty hard to trade off it. I think I probably have a bit more confidence in my fertilizer longs that I've got into on the dip. Um, so I'm not really, I don't really own any ags right now. Um, in terms of the volatility, I mean, that gas volatility is crazy, right? It's kind of a hundred implied vol. It moves around like an animal. I, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole because uh, it's just too sensitive to geopolitics. And I've got zero edge in calling that. So I'm going to stay away from that. I'd rather trade Ethereum vol at hundred <laughs> than I would natural gas vol at hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, Imran. If we look at um, the volatility in precious metals, uh, we know we always get a lot of questions on the price action in gold and silver. Uh, so could you please take us through your thinking on, on volatility and the price action in, in, in sure, gold and silver? Sure. So, I mean, we, we, again, we've got, we've got these kind of, we've got this uh, dashboard that we look at and, you know, you can drill down um, into each individual asset, see what's going on. So we've got one for GLD, Uh, Brian, if you want to bring, bring that one up on screen. And so, you know, this kind of helps flag to us what the opportunities are, right, from a from a mean reversion perspective, because volatility tends to be quite mean reverting. Um, and also, you know, from a carry perspective, i.e. are options realizing or not? Is it is it probably worth being long or short options? So a few weeks ago, uh, we had this strategy compass, which is this thing in the middle that looks like a dartboard. The strategy compass to us was flagging that, um, You know, we were up near the top end around 1,800 on gold, uh, which is a bit of resistance level. Volatility had retraced down to quite quite low levels. So buying puts was your opportunity, basically, right there. So for those who didn't think we were going to break to the top side, you were being offered quite cheap optionality to just buy some puts, get some leverage to the downside. That was what we kind of flagged to our clients, and that's turned out to work quite well. We have sold off. Now, when you buy optionality, because vol is cheap, you're kind of generally looking for vol to go up when the market has its move. Vol has kind of just, it's bounced off the lows, but it hasn't really exploded. So the sell-off in gold has been quite orderly uh, from 1800 down to these sort of low 17s. It hasn't really been, um, it hasn't kind of come with a, with a steep vol spike. Um, so you've still got vol hanging in there around 15 vol in, uh, in gold. I was really looking for that to go a bit higher, maybe 18 to 20 would have been my kind of upside target there. It hasn't really got there. So having owned some of those puts on the way down, I'm now looking at potentially selling some lower strike puts out in there to take a bit of money off the table, take some profit, and kind of my conviction that gold bowl is really going to spike is kind of going away. So I don't mind lightening up on the volatility side of that trade, even though I'm still a bit bearish in gold spot prices. Uh, because of what I, I think the dollar remains strong. I think real yields are kind of going to stay higher. Um, I think the Fed wants to keep them higher. So I, I'm not rushing to kind of get long this stuff. Like I know some other people with like a three to five year view want to get long precious. I'm actually still a bit short. Yeah, I perfectly agree with that assessment, by the way, Imran. We have uh, received a bunch of questions, so let's address a few of them. Uh, we received a question on our Twitter channel um, asking you whether it's uh, possible for the equity market to bottom without the VIX hitting uh, 35 plus territory first. 
Yeah, I mean, it can bottom if you want to call what happened in middle of June to middle of August a bottom. It can definitely do that, right? I mean, <clears throat> there's, there's nothing stopping it having these sharp, violent squeezes. Um, but to really put in a durable bottom, what do we need, right? We probably need to actually see the Fed pivot. So um, at the moment, the Fed are pushing back against the pivot, right? That's why we're repricing lower. Um it's hard to see how the Fed are going to basically suddenly pivot and unless we get some sort of market event that takes the VIX into the 40, 50 plus region, right? Because unless the only thing that's going to make them pivot quickly is a bloodbath in the market, right? Otherwise, they're going to have to wait and see the inflation data come down. And it's going to take a while to get inflation like it's going back down to target, right? So, so I think for a durable bottom in stocks, we probably can't do it without a proper VIX spike. Um, but that's not to say, you know, we, we can't have a three, 400 point rally in S&P without that. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We get a question from Fred as well on our YouTube channel, and he's asking us about the outlook for European equities. Um, so the Fed pivot is sort of a prerequisite for a, a durable bottom in, in the S&P 500. But what about European equities? Should this energy crisis magically dissipate? Would that be sort of a trigger to buy European equities, or how do you view that situation? Well, I, I definitely think you'd get a squeeze, yeah, because hmm. I, I don't think people really own it, right? It's not... <laughs> So, you know, I, I've been in this game for 20 years and, and it's like every time anyone tries to dip their toe into European equities, they, they get killed. Right. So it's just investors are wary of, of, of Europe because it keeps disappointing. And now we've got this big geopolitical cloud and energy crisis over Europe. So, yeah, people don't own it. If we suddenly get those clouds clearing, there will probably be a bit of a re-rating higher. And you'll probably get euro dollar rally along with European equities, right? Um, it's just that's very hard to call. And I don't really see that happening in the short term, to be honest, right? But when it happens, yeah, you'll get a fast outperformance of Europe over US, probably in the order of magnitude of 10 to 15%, I reckon. We also get a bunch of questions on crypto, Imran. Um, one of them, um, relates to the possibility of actually trading volatility in crypto. So can you please elaborate on the um, option market in crypto and whether it's yeah. tradable and whether the liquidity oh, is there? It's, it's more than tradable. I mm. mean, if you're in the US, it's a bit of a struggle because <clears throat> you can't trade in the main venue, which is Deribit. So Deribit is the options exchange for crypto. It's got decent volumes. You can trade good size there, um, but you can't be US based. That's the problem. So your U.S. option is uh, the BITO ETF that was the futures-based ETF that was released last year. Um, that would be your equivalent, but that's only Bitcoin. So you can't really trade Ethereum options um, like that. Um, there are there are options on um, Ethereum. There are futures and options on uh, Bitcoin on CME as well, but that's for more institutional size money. But in general, for retail, it's all about Deribit. 
So um, that's where I trade my crypto stuff. That's I, I do actually quite a lot on there, a lot of analysis on crypto. I have weekly videos that I put out um, discussing what the vol's doing in crypto. And what, there's a lot of opportunity in crypto vol because spot is obviously volatile, vol is high, and vol is volatile as well. So it moves around a lot. The skew moves a lot. There's there's lots to do there. Basically, and in fact, uh, it's funny. I said to my subscribers this week that this is potentially one of the trades of the year in crypto coming up with the merge because Ethereum vol is so elevated that it's just a no-brainer that it's going to get killed post-merge. Um, so it's really just about how you set that up and your timing and how you get into that. But that is one of the best vol trading opportunities this year in crypto is approaching in the next couple of weeks, I think. So how do you view the price action in uh, ETH ahead of this merge, also in, in spot terms and volatility terms, of course? Well, we had a we had a nice big outperformance, right? We bounced off the lows below a thousand. We got we touched above two thousand. Massively outperformed Bitcoin. Everyone put the spread trade on. Everyone front ran the merge. It, it was kind of clear that 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 was the thing to do. It was just the question was was it going to hold up into the merge or was it going to be a sell the fact type thing? So then we we've had the kind of re rating lower alongside risk assets, and we've had a bit of de risking in the space. And now you're actually looking at I think potentially a knee jerk higher again when the merge goes through, given that we've taken some of the froth out of the spot price now. Right. So I do think I don't think longer term ETH's going to escape the macro backdrop. And if the macro backdrop is bearish, it will probably end up still going lower. But I think over the next sort of month, the knee jerk move in ETH probably isn't to the downside. It's probably to the upside. But I know that the vol has got lots of room to come down. Right. And, and Bitcoin, I've been relatively medium-term bearish on Bitcoin, and it's just been used as a funding leg, right? Everyone's selling Bitcoin against owning the alts, owning Ethereum, and so it just can't get going. You've also had the Mount Gox supply, um, where all those coins that were released from what happened with Mount Gox back in the day, that's been they've been selling that over the last month or so, apparently. So you've got quite a lot of things keeping a lid on Bitcoin, uh, along with the, the macro narrative and the tightening of liquidity, keeping a lid on it. So, so there's not really much to get excited about on Bitcoin, but but I do think the ETH event is still in play. And, and I do think you have potentially still got a knee-jerk, maybe 20% pop post-event, which may well get faded. Um, but I kind of think from this level of spot, you're, you're a bit more comfortable starting to dip your toes in ETH again, I think. We have a question from uh, one of our subscribers, Mike, asking you, other than Bloomberg, uh, what trading platforms or tools can the average retail investor use to assess volatility and to trade options by the end of the day? So, you know, there's, there's various sort of uh, retail offerings out there, right? You've got um, you've got Interactive Brokers, which is a, a big retail broker. They've got this thing called the Volatility Lab. That's something I've been using for, for many years uh, as a retail Person looking at you know, make decisions around trading volatility. Um, you've then got various positioning people on the street, like Spot Gamma, good friends of mine. They they look at kind of gamma positioning on the street to kind of give you a read on there, uh, what's going on there. And then if you want to just keep an eye on sort of cross asset vol, to be honest, our product is probably one of the best ones now because we haven't fully launched it yet and gone live yet. But you know that dashboard that I've been sharing with you today is something that we are going to provide as, as, a, as a service to our subscribers to 
but the but the value add there is that I will be there to kind of narrate and commentate about what I'm seeing in that vol, right? Because there's a lot of new there's a lot of nuance in the vol market and understanding to how to kind of trade these things. Like you can't blindly just follow what the strategy compass says because that's a mean reversion model. And the market might be just about to break because there's some serious fundamental reasons why it's about to break. And you need to know not to do that trade blindly and know what the alternative trades that that might be. Um, a good example would be right now, one of my mean reversion model is saying that you sell puts on euro stocks because vol's high and spots low. But the problem is the market could still melt a lot lower, right? So it's a more dangerous, toxic trade to be doing that. So you want to look at alternatives like call calendars, call ratios that allow you to sell volatility, but on higher strikes, because we think that if the market bounces, then volatility retraces lower, right? So that you need someone with a bit of experience who's a bit seasoned and been there, done that, knows how these things move around to help guide some of that decision-making around vol. Fair point, Imran. Uh, the final question uh, is from, from Roger. Um, we already debated the uh, recent price spike in uh, uranium uh, and also the performance in some of the uranium stocks. So is this the new Uber consensus trade? That's what we're being asked here, Imran. Yeah, I mean, it may well be a consensus trade, right? But if the governments join the consensus, mm. it doesn't matter. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, we may have all front run that trade because we figured it out and realized that they had to go that way. Now, if they're, they're going to join the party and accept, yes, we have to, then it doesn't matter. Right. It's, it's got a long way to go. Right. So uh, for me, it's a long term trade. Right. You, you can't be trading uranium on a short term view. You've got to look long term and you've just got to decide what percentage of my long term money do I want to stick in that. And I'm not touching it until it at least triples, right? That, that's that's the reality, right? Fair. Um, the final point I want to make today uh, is in relation to the ongoing electricity crisis in, in Europe. I've calculated a couple of scenarios for the German gas storage over the winter. Um, and I think at the base case, um, Germany survives. Um, the storage is, is decent compared to the flow that is still Uh, running. Uh, but if Russia decides to cut the flow to zero all the way through the winter, we can bring up the scenario with the worst case um, situation for Germany. And we pair that with a cold winter in Germany, then Germany will run out of gas before the end of March next year. So I think you're perfectly right, Imran. Um, Germany will probably have to look at nuclear again to avoid situations like the current. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, and then before we go, you know, for people who are interested in options, volatility, um, I would, uh, I just want to let people know we, we are running one of our kind of quarterly boot camps in a few weeks, um, September 18th, 19th weekend, um, or is it 17th, 18th? I can't remember, but basically that weekend in September. So if you want to get into the weeds on, on volatility options, It is pretty much an A to Z intensive two-day course where I take you through my whole syllabus on options, basically. So, um, you know, feel free to check us out. Come and speak to us about it if you want on our website, and uh, we'd be happy to walk you through it. Good stuff, Imran. Thank you so much for, for joining the Real Vision Daily Briefing today. Pleasure. I've made it my trademark to always conclude the Real Vision daily briefing with a meme. Uh, and today's meme uh, is a meme in relation to the ongoing electricity crisis in Germany. Feeling cold, Germany? No, madam, we're good.
I'll <laughs> leave you with that meme for today. Thank you so much for watching. I'll be back with Darius Dale tomorrow at the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Goodbye. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.